0: Well, good morning. good morning. I'm so glad you guys could join us today. What a beautiful day outside. It's a nice bit of change from the last couple of days. It's been a little bit dreary, but I'm happy to be enjoying sunshine and excited to get to the park with you guys today. And welcome to those of you who are joining us online. I'm so glad that you could join us today. I know my family usually watches us online. I think my dad's still in Alberta. Hi, Dad. Hey, if you've got that uh, a recording of that bl- version of Blessed Assurance, the one that we really used to like, send it to me. I want to I share it around. Those of you who don't know me, I'm Graham. I'm the teaching pastor here, and I love sharing the word with you guys. I'm so excited. We're continuing our series today. We started last week called The Four Elements. And uh, for those of you who weren't here or for those of you who may have forgotten, I mean, I hear that happens sometimes between weeks that um, the four elements comes from this idea in ancient philosophy. The, the Greeks had this idea, the ancient Indians had this idea of the world was composed of these four elements of fire and water and earth and air, and that everything around us was made of these elements. And we, there's a certain truth to that today. We don't talk about fire, we talk about uranium. We don't talk about air, we talk about oxygen and nitrogen, but we, we do recognize our world is Made of elements. And we are doing a series where we are viewing four elements that make up church and how those elements are a small version, a microcosm, if you would, of our lives as Christians. So today we're going to be talking about the second element. Last week we talked about praise, and this week we're going to be talking about word. So let's open with a word of prayer and then we'll get into our message for today. Lord God, how good it is to be in your house, to be with your people, to praise your name, and now to quiet our souls and listen to you, listen for what you have to say to us. We pray that your spirit would whisper to each one of us in a way that we can hear, in, in what we need to hear, Lord. Use my lips, use this time to speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. So in my imagination, the four elements of church, and the four elements of ancient philosophy sort of correspond to each other. You know, they've got a bit, of a, a bit of a character to them, and I think that that's, I think that we sort of pin onto that. So, like, to me, praise, which we talked about last week, I think that's like fire. I think praise is like fire. I think it's warm. I think it's comforting. I think that praise can blaze, and I think that it can also smolder with that consistency. It can be intense. It can be familiar. What do you think? What do you think are some of the different elements that happen in church? Walter, what do you think the word is? I would say prayer is air because we, well, prayer is air. Okay. Oh, or air is praise because we're using air to praise. Okay, that's a good one. Henry, what do you think? What do you think air is? Because that's what Walter just brought up. What do you think air is? Prayer. Henry says air would be prayer. Why is that? Using air to pray because it's something that we do with our lungs. I like that. I, I would say that air is prayer. Uh, that's, that would be my opinion. I think it's because air and prayer are invisible and essential. That's what I would say. Tom, do you have any, idea, any thoughts? You're going to leave my church now that I called on you. <laughs> and does anyone have any ideas? Anything come to mind? Cynthia, give me one. Energy of service in, in air. I like that. That's cool. I've asked this question to a whole bunch of people because I just like doing this. And it's very interesting. There is only one combination that hasn't come up. Everything has been everything. Everything. And then this morning, we sang the one combination that hadn't came up. The only combination that didn't come up was nobody said that the word was air. And today we sang, this is the air I breathe, your very word. And I was blown away because I did not plan that. But that is the only one that never came up. And I think that was so interesting. But my, So I think this week we're talking about word. I think the word is like water. I think it's like water because you drink it in. It quenches your thirst. It washes you. You can go deep in it. I think the word is like water. And there are no wrong answers on this. You can, you can think of it however you want. I found it kind of edifying to try to think about this. So we're using these elements, though, as lenses for seeing the rest of our week. So let's look at the word in the micro in church And then after that, we'll look at it in the macro, in the rest of the week, what that looks like. So we're talking about this right now. This is the element of the word, the sermon. This is the time when we gather around the Bible and see what it is that God has to say to us to receive a word from heaven. This is that time. So this is a focus on the Bible, and especially what we do during this time in church is we're breaking it into digestible pieces. I don't know if you've noticed yet, I have not actually referenced the Bible yet. This whole time, I have only been doing introduction. Hebrews 5.12 and 1 Corinthians 3.2 both use the metaphor of milk and solid food to describe spiritual maturity. This is the idea that when you're young, you can only take milk. You need it really broken down for you. And as you get older, you can move to solid food I know someone who had to make this transition. In fact, I caught it on video. Would you like to see? This is my son. He's, he's five now, but this was him. He was about six months old eating his first solid food. I hope we, there we go. All right. Hey, Luke. You what's ready this? to try your first <gasps> solid? Hey, you. Oh. Oh. <laughs> no, no. We're not eating the bib. <laughs> <laughs> There's no idea what to do with it. Oh, it all up. Oh. <laughs> Milk and solid food. One of the things that impresses me most about a writer is when they can take a complex topic and distill it down to where it can be understood at a popular level. I have two books in my office, both by a man named William Lane Craig. He's got like two doctorates. The man's crazy smart. And one is called Reasonable Faith. And it's all about defending the faith and why it's good to believe in Christianity and why it makes sense to believe in God. And I tell you, that, that is a textbook. That book is hard. And then he's got another book called On Guard that is essentially the same thing, but it is meant to be read by people like you and me. Morons. You know, people, people who this isn't what they do every single day, but he writes this book at the popular level so that it can be understood. And that's really impressive because, you know, once you're deep into a topic, right, once you've been studying it for a while, it's really easy to just dive deep in and talk about it in a way that loses everybody, right? Any expert in a field can write a technical manual, but it takes a special kind of expert To take that technical knowledge and find a way to open it up to being understood, and at least in a rudimentary way, by the average person. They take this complex, difficult thing and they make it easy to digest. Because when you're not an expert, you don't need solid food. You need milk. I think sermons are milk. I'm commenting, I'm explaining, I am linking thoughts together for you. I'm not making you do it for yourself, I'm feeding it to you. Maybe some of you barf it back up afterwards, but you know, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, right? I listen to sermons all the time. I I would like to think that I'm a mature believer, and yet I listen to sermons all the time. If nothing else, they provide a different perspective, maybe something that I hadn't thought of. So don't think that you need to stop listening to sermons just because you've been a Christian for a while. But if you're a new Christian, this is a great way to be learning and growing. But at the same time, there is so much more Bible than we have time for in sermons. Does anyone know how many chapters there are in the Bible? Just off the top of your head, I'll be very impressed. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. That's Old and New Testament. Now, we regularly work our way through a book of the Bible at one chapter a week, right? We just did that. We just did Colossians. We took four weeks, four chapters in Colossians, one, two, three, four, right? We just did that in August. Do you guys remember? Yeah? Remember that? Okay at one chapter per week, it would take almost 23 years to preach through the Bible. And if we limited ourselves only to the New Testament, so there'd be no Moses or David or Psalms or Jacob or Elijah, only we talked about the New Testament, and we did it one chapter a week, it would take more than five and a half years to get through the whole Bible. Whereas on the flip side, if you read one chapter yourself, not just, not even each day. How about like five days a week, right? You got a couple of days there to catch up if you, if you miss off. If you read five days a week, one chapter per day, you will read the entire New Testament in one year. Less than five minutes a day, on average. Some chapters are longer than others. But like, that's an achievable goal. The idea that we're going to spend 23 years to work through the Bible one time Or you could do it one chapter a day and do it yourself. So if you want to eat solid food, you have to be reading your Bible on your own time. 20 minutes a week of Bible on Sunday, it's just not enough to keep you full. In the Old Testament, God spoke to people through angels or through prophets or sometimes in a dream or something exciting and interesting like that. But in the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit that indwells us. And God can speak to us all the time. And I know it sometimes feels like the Old Testament had a better deal because that was so much more obvious, right? It's hard to argue when an angel shows up in front of you and says, go to Nineveh. Okay, right? We don't don't have that sort of experience. But it also was much more rare. You know, between the writing of Malachi the last book of the Old Testament, and the arrival of Jesus, God was silent, silent for 400 years. No prophets, no scripture, silence from heaven. Can you imagine if God hadn't spoken anything since the 1620s? For perspective, the Mayflower sailed in 1620. That's how long ago that was. The King James Bible was published in 1611, although I think there are some who would say God hasn't spoken since then. Only the King James. But that's a long time to go without hearing from God. Today, you can open your Bible whenever you want and you can read these words and the Spirit will whisper to you of his love. Because reading the Bible and listening to sermons is fundamentally about hearing from God. Think about the language that we use around the sermon. We ask God to speak to us. We ask God to change us. Even referring to it as the word implies the idea of a message, of speaking, of communication. This isn't just a text that we read. It's a message that's being communicated. Now, to be fair, that's not what's special about the Bible. When I get a text on my phone, there's a message there being communicated, Right? When I see a billboard or an article or a Facebook post, there's a message in that text. But I feel that sometimes we forget that when we think about the Bible, that these aren't just words on a page for no reason that we read because we have to or we're supposed to. God is trying to communicate with us. And I want to clarify something else. I do not believe that the Bible is the only way God communicates with us. In fact, I would argue that the primary way that God communicates with us is not through the Bible. It is actually through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can speak to you in all kinds of ways. He can speak to you while you're watching a movie. He can speak to you while you're driving your car. He can speak to you while you're at a hockey game. But there is something special about the Bible, and that it is by reading the Bible that the Holy Spirit seems to most often start speaking. Now, there is a challenge with hearing from the Holy Spirit, because sometimes it can be hard to recognize when it's the Spirit speaking. Can anyone relate to that? Is, have you ever had the thought, was that God talking? Yeah, is that something? Yeah, Okay. Now, it feels like that shouldn't be the case, right? It feels like it should be that the sheep know his voice and the sheep listen to his voice, right? John 10, we talked about that this summer. And that definitely can be the case. But the part that's challenging is that that is an issue of familiarity. We have many voices that we hear all the time. And I don't mean like, ah, I'm hearing voices. Obviously, you have many thoughts, And some of your thoughts argue with each other. You should eat that cookie. No, no, I want a six-pack. Yeah, six-pack of Coke. (laughs) Right? But sometimes you'll have a thought, and there will be something about it that makes you go, that doesn't sound like me. And you'll wonder, is that God talking? Or sometimes you'll be talking with another person, and they'll say something, and it'll strike you in this really unusual way and you'll wonder if that's God nudging you. This often happens with my sermons. I'll be working on it. God will have something growing and planted in me, and then I'll have a conversation with someone, and someone will be talking to me and say something, and the spirit nudges, and I go, aha! And it's just the piece that I needed to make it all fit together. But don't forget, we also have an enemy, Satan the accuser who prowls like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Have you ever had a thought and gone, uh uh that's Satan talking? And that's the question. How do we know? How do you know when it's God talking? What if you think it's Satan because it makes you feel bad, but actually it's God convicting you of your sin and calling you to repentance? What if you think that it's just your mom being nosy, but actually God really does want you to ask that girl out? Okay, that's a little optimistic. But but seriously, how do you know when it's God speaking? And the answer is the Bible. The Bible is how you know. Does what you're hearing sound like what's in the Bible? And I don't mean it's written in these and thous. You can check what you're hearing against other things that God has said, and then you can be confident. Does what you're hearing contradict what God has already said? Probably best to ignore that. Does what, you're hearing, does what you're hearing affirm what God has already said? Maybe we should listen to that. Maybe that sounds like God. Because the Bible is the story of God's love and care for humanity, but it is also the record of God's action and expression in the world. We don't have to wonder how God feels about injustice. You don't have to pray about that. God's made that really clear in the Bible. We don't have to wonder how God feels about idolatry or sexual sin or whether or not we should be giving money to the church. God's made that all really clear in the Bible. It's there. And it's not to say that there aren't some issues that are more complicated than they've first seen or that there aren't issues where we need to take into account the movement of Scripture and the cultural context that it was written to. But the answer is there. It's there. So we read and we study the Bible so that we can recognize God's voice when he speaks to us. But not only that, we read and we study the Bible so that we can shift our thinking and change our minds in order to be more like God. As Romans 8.29 puts it, to be conformed to the image of the Son. Romans 12.2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Renewing your mind is about forming new defaults and new habits in how we think and choose and feel and act so that we can be more like God. My mom told me this story about how when she used to work at a bank, she'd only been there for three weeks, and this will tell you when this was because she'd been handling money a lot. I don't know if you handle money these days anymore in a bank. It feels like it's all paperless transactions. But she'd only been there about three weeks handling money all day. But then someone handed her a counterfeit bill, and she immediately recognized it just by touch. She could feel the difference because she was so familiar with the real thing. When you're reading your Bible, when you're renewing your mind with God's word, you're going to find yourself with a lot fewer questions around was that God speaking? because you will know his voice. You'll be familiar with him because you've been reading the Bible and what he's said before. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they, the weapons, have divine power to demolish strongholds, And what are strongholds in this context? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Demolishing arguments? Pretensions? Taking every thought captive? How's that for explicit language about changing your mental patterns? Paul is talking about changing how we think. And how we do this is expressed beautifully In Joshua one eight, God is talking, speaking to Joshua, not Jacob, speaking to Joshua about how to lead the people of Israel. And one of the things God says: keep this book of the law, the Bible, or what they had of the Bible at that point. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful meditate on the Bible, on God's word, day and night, all the time. That's a tall order. I don't know about you, I got other stuff going on. So like, in fairness, this is an example of biblical hyperbole. God is deliberately exaggerating to make a point. He doesn't actually expect you to spend every moment of every day, and night for that matter, thinking about the Bible. But I dare say that most of us could do to spend a lot more, Right? I, think, I think most of us maybe not try to do every waking moment, but I think most of us could afford to do a lot more. When Jesus was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, each time that Satan makes a temptation, Jesus responds with, it is written. He is referencing, he's quoting scripture. And in Matthew 4.4, 4, Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is a quote from Deuteronomy. That's where it is written. But don't miss it. The word is life. When God speaks to you, it is life-giving. It's like a meal. It's like pulled pork or dad's cookies. I suspect that's what we're having this afternoon. It's, it is life-giving. It's what allows us to keep going. 2 Timothy three sixteen to 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, that's you, the servant of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I love that Paul uses the word useful. Reading the Bible isn't just about checking a box and doing your daily duty. It's not just about thinking and about abstract thinking. It is useful, it applies to your daily life. It changes us as we allow ourselves to be changed by it, to have our minds renewed and reshaped to be more like Jesus, and as we do that, it will change how we live our daily lives. So we read the Bible to hear from God so we can recognize his voice and to allow him to reshape our daily lives. It's a habit that we have to build. It's a habit. It's kind of like studying for school. University just started. Any, any students in here? People who are in, still in school or university or anything? All right, we got a couple. Awesome. So maybe you guys will relate to this more, but maybe the rest of you can think back to when you were in school. Do you guys know that there are different types of learners? Right? There's auditory and visual and kinesthetic. They're different different types of learners. I am an auditory learner, which means that remembering things like song lyrics comes really easily to me. I never had singing lessons. I just remember what stuff sounds like, and then I make my voice do that. So when I was in high school, man, I crushed high school. (laughs) Like, they teach you everything, right? They say the material out in class, which meant I remembered it. I got straight A's in high school. I didn't study at all. Okay, maybe I studied like three hours before an end of the year exam. I know, I know. Okay, let's all boo me together, okay? One, two, three. Good, thanks. You'll feel better though, because when I got to university, that was a whole new adventure. And it was me doing the booing when we got to university. Because in university, they don't teach you everything. In fact, you're lucky if they teach you, like out loud, a third of what you need to know. You have to study. And I had no idea how to do that. I feel like there's probably a joke in there about getting a degree in theology instead, but I'm not quite sure where it is. But isn't life like that? That there are times in your life when you can absolutely coast by on what you're getting on Sunday. There are times and seasons in your life where if you try to float on what you get on Sunday, you're going to be drowning by Tuesday. I wish I'd made some study habits while I was still in high school. But I'm glad that when hard seasons came in my life and I had to walk my hardest roads, I already had the habits of spending time with God and of knowing his word. And I hope that's what you take from today. That we need these habits. We need to know his voice, to know his word, so that when those times come, We can hear. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak, that this isn't just a book that we read, this isn't just something that we do because we're supposed to, but you actually will speak to us, God. You will nudge us in our spirits and you will come to us through other people and you will speak to us. That the creator of heaven and earth cares about our little tiny lives and what's going on in it. You're not limited by time or space. You're not not dealing with what's going on in the Ukraine because you're busy talking to me about whether I should take the girl for ice cream. Lord, you're not limited. You love us and you speak to us. I pray that you would speak to us this week, Lord. I pray that you would speak to each one of us today. I pray that today, God, you would remind each one of us what your voice sounds like. That we would, before our heads hit our pillows today, God, today we would have something to look back on where we heard from you. Something as little as finding a parking space or something as big as the next step we should take. I pray that you would speak to each one of us, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.